Kia ora team, welcome to another deep dive on the podcast and today was an absolute banger of an episode. I had so much fun sitting down with Simon Lucas. Now Simon, he's a photographer, filmmaker, zoologist, conservationist, sea captain and he's been all around the world on some pretty epic adventures which we dived into today. He has observed animals in their natural habitats all over the world and we dived into some of those yarns today. So lock in, you're going to love this episode because I did. Yeah, man, Simon. Thanks for hopping on the podcast on a on a beautiful Saturday here in New Zealand, mate. I know you're down in Kaikoura, and I'm up here in Auckland. I think you've better off than me, mate. To be honest. Yeah, pretty stunning down here at the moment. Is it cold, mate? Is it because I've I've been to Invercargill and Blenheim, so that's kind of my gauge for the South Island. You know what I mean? Yeah, with uh, when the southerly hits, she's pretty frosty, but um, at the moment, sun's out, so it feels like summer. Oh, water temps down at sort of 10 11 degrees so pretty chilly in the water still but she's warming up does it stay about that temp though or does it actually get up because i mean um i think it the lowest is around eight um during winter and then gets okay. up sort of 16 to 18 during summer oh okay so not too bad yeah not, no, too, bad. not too bad well everyone everyone that's kind of um a bit of a red herring that's always cold and the water's down there maybe it's not true yeah well we for better or for worse, we've got the big canyon on our doorstep and that funnels cold water in. Mm. Um, so we get all the life because of it, dolphins, whales, um, all the crayfish and power. Mm. But it's cold Antarctic water coming in. So Yeah, pay yeah. the price you pay to see what you see though, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, Simon, man, for people that don't know you, um, do you just want to for people listening, just introduce yourself and kind of just say what you do, mate. A couple of things you do, and we'll kind of just kind of go in wherever wherever we go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so grew up on the North Shore, um, and yeah, pretty standard. Um, dad was a marine engineer, so spent life on the water. Um, had a batch at Kawao Island. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, did, that's where I learned to fish and these wallabies there. So I learned to hunt them and uh, studied zoology down in Dunedin and did uh, wildlife management and um, so went further into the wilderness there mm. and then basically from uni till now I've just been traveling around the world uh, mainly Canada and working on offshore uh, offshore boats um, so spent uh, four years in Canada gold mining and dabbled in filmmaking um, and then got into boats and Worked my up to captain and uh, ran an expedition boat for three years oh, and uh, got around the world in that. And then now in beautiful Kaikoura, working as a dolphin tour guide. So, oh, mate, what a, what a journey. <laughs> it's almost like, what have you not done in that sense, you know? <laughs> yeah, we've just been following opening uh, open doors. So whole life, always keen to learn and um, work hard. So. Um, yeah, yeah. when opportunities presented, was always ready to pick them up and run with them. Yeah, man. Well, so as a youngster, were you real keen on animals and, and just nature and being out there amongst it? Because, I, mean, I mean, I live on the North Shore, and like today I was like, you know what, I'm going to park up at the beach and read my book for a bit this morning. Yeah. Um, and like it was like a 25-minute drive into Milford. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, definitely. The, for me, the Hauraki Golf was my playground, so – uh, especially Kawao, 
just amazing. Um, the open water. Um, so learn to hike. Dad would never like to follow trails, so he'd always drop us off in the middle of the bush and Kawao and have to make our way home. Oh, yeah, mate. And then you've got all the bird sanctuaries. So uh, Tuitri Matangi for, it was one of my favourites. Taufatanui, uh, yeah, just love the um, ocean. And then you have the bird sanctuaries there as well. So um, definitely grew the passion for wildlife and um, the outdoors in particular. So, mm. I wonder if this is a uh, silly thing to ask them, but I mean, for, like, I guess for me, you know, when I looked up to someone like, like a, I can't remember the other guy's name, but obviously you're Steve Irwin's, you know, yep. you look up to these cats, um, you know, when you're kind of growing up or getting older, was he also, I guess, one of those people that you were just like, all right, I'm watching Steve Irwin, Crocodile, what was it? What was the show? The Crocodile Hunter? Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. You know? no, big Steve Irwin fan. Yeah. Um, and good old Sir David Edinburgh was. Um, oh, Sir David, can't go past him, eh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. So it's just seeing the, um, wildlife and um i mean we're very lucky here with wildlife but in terms of terrestrial animals uh, most of it's introduced so was always attracted to the big animals overseas like canada and africa and um so uh, seeing that on um yeah tv and through media was always a buzz but to go see it yourself was just even better so yeah, it's interesting you say that. Uh, there's a guy, um, there's a uh, like, there's a guy named Dominic Monaghan who played Mary in um, Lord of the Rings, one of the Hobbits. Yeah, okay. and um, he's a big nature guy as well. Um, and his favorite like area of wildlife is insects. Yeah, okay. And his and his reasoning is you don't have to go to a zoo or you don't have to go into the bush to get up close and personal with these things. They're in your house, they're in your in your garden. You can get up and get amongst it and actually see. See, yeah, see these things, and I just kind of alludes to your point, eh? Like we think, oh, let's go to the zoo or let's go overseas and see something. Yeah. Where, mate, let's just just head down into the bush, and you're going to see lots here in New Zealand, right? Oh, definitely, and yeah, I mean, insects, the most numerous animals in the world. So, um, they're yeah, it's fascinating when you dive into those. But I think, yeah, we are so blessed here in New Zealand with backyard, like. For one, just how easy it is. Like, there's nothing dangerous in there. Relatively oh. mild climate. It's, oh. uh, it's on that side. It's really uh, safe and easy. And then we've got so much to see. And mm. so, yeah, very, yeah. very lucky. Um, I mean, I never would. I, I always say this, man. For people living in Perth or <laughs> yeah. anywhere northern Australia or mm. western Australia, I mean, going into the bush to fetch a ball is is could be life or death. Yeah, I would not survive in Aussie, like, <laughs> between the crocs and the snakes and spiders, or something would get me for sure. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about zoology, man. Is that zoology? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Becoming a zoologist. Um, yeah. Tell me about that journey, man, because obviously you start with a passion and then I guess I guess even, even to back that up, actually, you know, as a conservationist and someone who is into nature, I know the idea of a zoo could be, at odds with you know that yeah. kind of mindset so where is where's your take on that yeah so um yeah so i obviously love animals and so that led me to zoology um and but i yeah personally would never want to live or work in a zoo sorry um mm. and 
I think we're learning as humans to sort of look after animals a lot better and the modern zoo is a lot better than what they used to be. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, love observing and studying animals in the uh, outdoors. So it's that's, I think, the best sort of um, way to, to do it. But I'm, uh, I grew up going to the zoo and that's helped grow passion. So they, I think, are a necessary um, part of society or a city um, where you can expose people to incredible animals. Um, but, yeah, I would much rather see them um, in, out in the bush in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and love studying it and, and particularly um, the focus on New Zealand and conservation and, and see the other side of um, our animals and the sort of the incredible adaptions they've got, but also the, unfortunately, the predators and introduced animals they're facing and uh, loss of habitat and all that. So you see the uh, need for conservation. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, 100%. And I, I I personally agree with that um, that philosophy. I mean, I know, I think, because uh, as a teacher, you know, the zoo trip's one of the, the trips, you know, um, if you're in Auckland. <laughs> And um, I remember when I last took took a school group to the zoo, and uh, yeah, it, it does the job of bringing awareness, and it has its place. Yeah. I hundred percent agree with you. Um, but I also, yeah, I also agree that actually, you know, you, when you look at a, a cheetah in a cave, in, a, in, a, in a den that's what fifty meters by whatever, I don't know the, the measurements, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You just think this is just not natural, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's hard, but it's. Like I said, it's I think a necessary. Yeah. Um, I think evil is the wrong word, but that's the same. But it's um, yeah. I yeah, we've covered yeah. it. <laughs> as long as the purposes, as long as long as the purposes to uh, educate and inform. Eh? I I remember I did a school journal with with a class once, and I talked about when they brought monkeys to Auckland Zoo that would dress up and do tea parties. Crazy, you know, and it was for <laughs> entertainment, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think we've yeah. come a long way since. Well, then. especially, yeah. Have you seen the uh, doco Blackfish? No, but um, I know it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So that about the orca or killer whale in captivity, mm. and that really switched my whole perspective around. Like as a kid, you see these animals, and you put this happy persona on them. That, oh, they're performing because they enjoy it. The dolphins are jumping. Uh, but then when you look at it from that, it's kind of like a almost captive slave that's going slightly psychotic. And yeah. then you start, yeah, whole new perspective on it. Um, yeah. So it's, I think that was definitely a big turning point, but people are realizing how intelligent and how, um, aware animals are in that um, uh, rightly increasing space and uh, keeping them entertained and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we have a, um, at our school, what are those birds called? The, um, oh my goodness. They're not the magpies, but they dive bomb you, but don't hit you. The Australian somethings. Do you know? They hatch and they protect their eggs like crazy. Um, they've got a name. But they dive bomb and swoop on kids if you get anywhere yeah, near okay. their eggs. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, and the, and, and the natural thing to do is, the natural thing in your mind is like, well, they're on our school field and what do we do here? But at the same time, well, they're in nature. They're, you know, they're in, they're, they're, they are where they are. We've just got to kind of avoid them till they hatch their chicks and get out of there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's the hard thing with conservation here is like our main form of conservation is killing things, but those things aren't doing anything wrong. It was people that put them there. They're just, everyone loves to hate on possums and hares and everything and rabbits, but yeah, they're just existing. It's, um, but unfortunately they're um, competing or killing our animals. So it's got to be a, this balance struck, but um, yeah, it's a hard one for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. So, what does a zoology degree kind of encapsulate, man? What, what, what are your, what are you learning about in that process of how many, how many years is that? Uh, so three years, um, and that's your undergrad, um, and basically just biology of animals. So you go right through from uh, taxa and sort of how everything relates to everything uh, to genetics, evolution um uh behavior so i always love the evolution and behavior side of things yeah um, and yeah then you dive into so there's the science side of collecting data and the more sort of uh papers and um research side of zoology um but then other sort of job prospects is of obviously department of conservation Mm. Um, and then going into uh, the more uh, commercial side, so working with mines for doing environmental planning or resource consent. And, um, so it's, yeah, pretty diverse, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that is diverse, eh? Because even when you say you've spent years, actually, I think when I first sent you a message, hold on, I've got my Instagram here. I'm pretty sure you said you were working in the mines. Yeah, you were in, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you so were in working- Yukon, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and I was just operating, um, and it definitely was sort of that fine of I had to think about what where my allegiances were. Yeah. Um, but it was really neat to see the other side of it. Like, uh, pretty much all the guys I worked with loved the outdoors, loved nature. Uh, we would always try um, build roads around big trees or um like important habitat yeah um and the whole time you're seeing um, moose and bears and fox and eagles so it was uh incredible to be very remote mining and the good thing is um gold mining is very low and sort of chemical impact it's um you clear a lot of forest and move a lot of rocks around and uh, gravel, but you're just washing it with water. So there's no chemicals, there's no pollutants. Yeah. And then you try to put it back as much as you can, but um, at a, on a small scale, you're creating habitat um, and there's no sort of long-term effects. Um, and the area that I was mining has been mined continuously for the last... 130 years wow uh, so that and it's still those animals all through that area so it can recover 
Um, and so after I went mining, we produced this documentary, uh, Paddle for the North, which was trying to stop mining right. um, in the Peel watershed. Yeah. And again, we, we tried to keep very centre on the... Um, and the narrative that we're not against mining, we're just against mining everywhere. So, yeah. yes, we need everything we own and use comes from the mining industry. So instead of going everywhere, let's leave some places completely pristine. Mm. Um, and a lot of like we had a lot of people agreeing with us, and miners really enjoy the film. And so it was really neat to get that feedback from both sides. That's really cool, man. And for people listening, where can they go and see that? YouTube or? Uh, so it's um, on Vimeo. Um, but yeah, Paddle for the North. And the website's paddleforthenorth.org. Um, but in a short wrap, yeah, uh, six mates, uh, three dogs, three canoes. Uh, we did 1,500Ks by river um, from Canada wow. to Alaska and yeah, uh, it was an incredible experience. And the area we paddled through as uh, a size of uh, Scotland and oh completely pristine. So uh, there's a little bit of development along one side, yeah. but it's one of the only watersheds which has no development. In it. Um, so very lucky to experience it. And you can drink straight from the river. Oh, uh, incredible wildlife. Yeah. So. Um, and then we contrasted that to the Yukon River, which is full of development. And yeah. uh, three of the guys got Giardia from the river. And um, so, yeah, yeah it was, yeah, it um, was an incredible trip. And the film went on to go really well. We uh, won eight awards and made it into oh. Banff Mountain Film Festival. So no it's way. going around the world. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate. Well, do you know what I love about that is it's such a different take on the mining industry because it's me hearing you say that. For me, it, just in my simple brain, <laughs> when I hear the word conservationist and and mining in the same sentence, it doesn't seem to add up. But the way you've unpacked that is actually, yeah, it's not about it's not about mining everywhere. Hey, it's just yeah. about keeping where you're at now. And and because I mean, we all know that what we mine is a finite resource right i mean we're going to eventually run out of everything one day um obviously you know not everything but you, you know what i'm trying to say um yeah. but it's a really interesting take on it yeah yeah well, i think it's really easy to throw stones across the fence at yeah point the finger at someone and say it's your fault you're creating this but yeah the in the end there's ways to do mining rather than focus on just money to do it sort of sustainably and uh, minimize impact um, because we need it. Like mm. literally everything pretty much comes from that industry in terms of plastics and yeah. uh, technology. So it's the, yeah, we can't just remove it from our lives. Let's manage it and, and keep intact big tracks of wilderness um, alone. Yeah. Maybe this might be a dumb question, but I've had friends that have worked in the mines and they talk about the experience and obviously every mine is different and I don't know if this is the same for you, but sometimes you're not seeing daylight, well not daylight, but you know, you're underground for three weeks 
at a time, you know, yeah. depending on where you're working. Uh, yeah, so this very different. Um, it was me and three brothers um, working in a small uh, place of mine. So um, you're in the middle of um, Yukon backcountry, so um, like a, uh, I wouldn't say pristine, but yeah, beautiful river, and you're just uh, basically moving gravel from one side to the other and sluicing right. out the gold. Um, but the neat thing was that uh, during the summer, it's 24-hour light. Uh, so you do oh, a 12 hour. Yeah, yeah. So it's 65 degrees north. Um, wow. So even here in Kaikoura, I think we're down at 43 degrees south. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the sun sets at 12.30 at night and comes up at 3.30 in the morning. And it's so amazing. You get do a 12-hour shift and then you've still got 12 hours of daylight to go. <laughs> canoeing or yeah uh, yeah it's weird coming out of the pub at one in the morning and it's still light so. <laughs> yeah yeah oh man that is yeah that's bizarre that, i would have hated that as a kid though you know when you had to go to bed during daylight savings yeah, you know? it's yeah. still light brutal outside <laughs> <laughs> well and um, then the opposite they have brutal winters so they hardly see the sun and winter uh, sun and winter uh you get yeah, it gets down to negative 50, negative 60. And so, yeah, it's brutal. Dude, how close to the poles are we talking? Uh, so poles are 90, obviously, and yeah. they're 65. So right. Um, every degree is 60 miles. So what's that? 30 times 60. Um, eight, oh, 80, yeah, 100 miles to the pole. Wow, that's yeah. not far at all. Yeah, yeah, but and but it's incredible because um, towards the end of the season you start getting the northern lights. Uh, so you've so, seen the northern lights? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, oh, they are incredible. Yeah, are they hard? Because I know you do, and I'm keen to dive into this. I know yeah. you do, you dive into photography, and that's taken you around the places with your conservation work as well, and as well as your boating stuff. But um, are they hard to capture? Uh, they're actually easier to capture than to see them. So your no camera way. has the great trick of long exposures. Yeah. So it can take 30 seconds worth of lights and expose them onto one photo. So even if you can see a faint glow in the horizon, your camera will show like a fully green sky. Uh, so it's Dude. yeah, actually a bit of a trick. Um and the best lights are still incredible, but the cameras um, oversell them a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like when you see a camera of the, you know, obviously, um, you know, we're talking lens upon lens here with the whole Milky Way just like just there. But when you're sitting, when you're sitting there looking at it, you only see kind of half of that. Yeah, sometimes, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but the best thing up there is you've got very little light pollution and. Yeah. You've got to wait normally um midnight or so till you can see it because it's still um I when I was recently there um visiting my uh, girlfriend's family and um we we I took her to the Yukon to show her around, but it was still even 
it's in there fall now. Um, the sun was setting at 10.30 at night. Right. So you're up at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. trying to find these lights because it's too light to see them. Far out, man. Yeah. Yeah, well, mate, let's just say in Auckland, you're lucky to see a couple of stars off the deck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Man. So, But then, I mean, down, uh, when you get out of Auckland, like even um, oh, Great Barrier is a, a dark sky sanctuary now. So mm. there are, within the Auckland region, places you can definitely get good um, astronomy in. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's always the beauty of going down home is actually seeing the, the night sky. I always just go out and just appreciate yeah, that I'm out of Auckland. <laughs> um, man, I'm keen to. I'm, I saw I saw on your on your on your Instagram um, with 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 your photography. You you were in Ken. I think it was Kenya, um, in Africa anyway. And there's something about for you yeah. in nature capturing these large animals. I know you said it earlier. You know, New Zealand's got amazing local um, and um, uh, indigenous animals here. But mate, when you're standing in front of a zebra or a lion or a giraffe, you know, it's just a different story. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Those large animals are pretty incredible to see firsthand yeah um my photography first started out um when i was traveling of sharing my experiences with friends and family and that evolved into wildlife photography and trying to capture those intimate moments with animals that i've had Mm. and uh, so i was in kenya um a very good friend of mine uh, Jamie Joseph started a charity, Saving the Wild, and she was in Kenya working with a couple of the local um, conservation groups um, trying to save the big uh, Tusker elephants, um, as well as doing some uh, rhino protection. Mm. And uh, so we were there filming for uh, three months um, in the height of COVID, we, 2020. Sure. Uh, yeah. I just snuck in to New yeah. Zealand and then snuck out to um, nice. go filming, and it uh, was yeah, an incredible experience. And the to see those animals up close it was just yeah, unreal. And always trying to capture what you see and and get uh, using um, all the camera gear to bring it back to people, and yeah. and so it's always a challenge, but. What's, what, how does that work though? Is it like you guys are in a jeep and kind of you, you you know you're going around, you park up for the night, and you keep going? How how does that actually work capturing them in nature? I've always actually wondered that. Even when you watch some of David Attenborough stuff, I know you weren't quite setting up cameras in the bush for six months of uh, <laughs> of exposure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you know what I mean? How how does how does it work to capture them in their local, well, in their environment for you when you're out there doing that? Yeah, so. And actually, unfortunately, it's you're not that uh, far into the bush. Like a lot of the filming we were doing, if you turn the camera around, you'd be next to a road or a village. Right. Uh, a lot of the wilderness is on uh, sort of community land, and they allow like allow tourists and uh, people to be there because it's a source of income, and they keep it. Uh, wild 
but it's a very fine balancing act that especially COVID, a lot of people, there were no tourists, so there was no money for animals. Mm. A lot of people that were employed suddenly lost their jobs. So they were returning back to the village to start farming. Right. So one of the big problems was the loss of wild land over the last few years and people uh, going back to farming. And we tried to allude to that. Um, so the, at the start, the film is these beautiful uh, Tusker elephants. So a Tusker is um, a Tusker 100 pounds or more on each side. And there's oh, wow. less than uh, 20 sort of officially known about. Uh, and those genetics are, are being poached out or hunted out. So Wow. Uh, and we start off showing close-ups of these animals and their sort of wilderness. And then uh, by the end of the film, it's zoomed out and it's showing, like, literally their habitat is bordering up next to farmers and these yeah. big patches of roads and so it's yeah wilderness we're running out of really quickly unfortunately yeah yeah it's 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 actually scary to think that you know in 30 years time we might not have uh, other than in zoos you know uh some yeah. of these are magnificent animals that we can see in in, in in the environment you know yeah exactly and and that so we were lucky to have a um BBC and Nat Geo uh, videographer with us, uh, Bertie Gregory. And he was saying that there's a, been a shift in how they produce wildlife films. So they used to just do Garden of Eden. Like here are these incredible animals in perfect wilderness. Yeah. And now people are getting more and more um, sort of, um, they want to see the other side of it. So they behind the scenes became a lot more popular and now the latest um sort of blue planet twos they a whole episode is uh designated to the sort of human impact uh, yeah. so there is a shift that people are waking up to it and hopefully that will result in and and change of mindsets yeah no you can't get around that now eh? and i think even like you say, one of the big things in in um, in Africa um, and, and of course around the world is, is that idea of poaching, you know, and 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 sport, you know, game hunting, big game hunting, you know. I've seen pictures of people, um, you know, sitting next to giraffes with their rifle, posing for photos. You know, it's just it's wild, man. Yeah, and it's, it's they're pretty contentious issues over there, so. On paper, in theory, um, game hunting can actually be really good for conservation. Right. Uh, where one animal is suddenly worth $30,000. So that goes a long way. Um, but obviously when it's misused, then people are um, taking prime animals instead of older animals. And yeah. so it can work. Uh, and unfortunately, poaching most of it is subsistence so people desperate for food and meat and that's right. their only source um the sort of gang side of it um is yeah horrible and it's obviously a massive part especially for rhino and elephants mm. um and 
again, saving the world, that's a big um, part of what her charity was doing, was trying to expose um, the sort of underbelly and and sort of almost um, mafia-style uh, poaching. Mm. Um, but a lot of it is just um, people desperate. So mm. it's, yeah, a fine balance between how you solve it. Yeah. Is... And I, and I know, you know, your, your understanding might be limited on this, but um, from your perspective as a, you know, as a zoologist and, and the work you've done in conservation, is it reversible, man? The kind I, of the human impact on nature? From from your opinion, I guess, from your opinion. Yeah, I'm definitely an optimist. Yeah. Uh, so I when I see the amount of wilderness out there, then... Um, yeah it is incredible and i think there is like right now if we see no more um destroying of nature or wilderness then if for sure we could recover but it's obviously every year every decade we don't do that that gets closer and closer to that point of no return but i think there definitely is a shift and i think it's going to be generational like the young people coming through things like uh, are just aware now of those climate change, yeah. um, being vegetarian, just mm. the plastic pollution, all of that is, yeah, people are aware of that and now uh, prioritise that um, living sort of within your means and uh, minimalist, all of that I think will lead to a a shift in how we run societies yeah um and even though it sucks at the moment i drive a diesel truck having three dollars a liter i think that's a great catalyst to um like i'm walking to work riding it's it forces change which is nice yeah 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 100 percent. i like what you said about us just being aware of our footprint eh? like i know my flatmate for example you mentioned you know being a vegetarian or vegan my flatmate is a well was a vegan now more of a pescatarian i don't know i don't know the official name (laughs) but um for her it's got nothing to do with sympathy for animals in the sense of you know i I look at a cow and i think you know i can't hurt you it's not that it's um that morality side it's more the environment you know and i've never she was the first person i ever came across who was vegetarian vegan for environmental reasons and I, and as i've listened in and learned more and I, even myself I, I try and limit meat um here and there when i can um but yeah the, the, being vegetarian or vegan actually has some great benefits for the environment too you know and i'd never heard that before you know oh definitely and i mean i love meat on i love hunting love fishing so i definitely not one to um bash that at all but no it's we all grew up in new zealand eating meat every meal and a big portion and having so much farming that um but now you yeah starting to realize that that um having meat two or three times a week even is a huge improvement and has a massive impact of reducing our uh dairy and cattle herds and um just yeah taking less impact on the land and again we 
are slightly sheltered here in New Zealand that we have lots of space and really good farming practices. Um, so I think it's um, it's definitely we're leading the pack in sort of animal welfare and environmental um, precautions. But yeah. it's uh, we yeah I think less is always good um, yeah. and just yeah yeah and everything <laughs> all right. <laughs> Less is always good. Um, yeah, I want to I want to take it back just to to Africa for a minute. There was one post I saw, and, and and as a as a photographer and even yourself working in wildlife, these are the moments that when I read this, I thought, "Whoa, that's that's quite um, profound, and must impact you in different ways." And it was a post of I think it was a lion, and for me, I don't know, man. If if, if of any animal I could see in their natural environment and habitat, a lion would be it for me. Eh? I just they're just I feel like they're just the the king, you know, the king of the pride. But um, there's a line, and I think it had like an eye infection or something that you took a photo of. And your caption or, you know, your post comment, caption, yeah, caption's the word, was um, this is hard for me because because this wasn't done by a human. You've got to let nature take its course and, you know, every part of you wants to get in there and clean out the eye and help, help this lion. But that wouldn't be letting nature have its way, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. Nature is brutal sometimes. Um, and yeah, we, in the end, um, you're there to observe and, and see it. And the best experience I've had is when you're not involved in the, the you're not interacting with the animals at all. You're just watching mm. uh, animals be animals. Um, and yeah, the, it is always a tricky balance, especially because in some places lions are, are threatened that you want to save everyone. And I personally, yeah, definitely um, would, yeah, believe that you can hands-on conservation. Um, here in New Zealand, we are very good at hands-on conservation. But, um, yeah. At the same time, I'm... Um, and if you've got a healthy population and your wilderness is uh, running smooth, then it's you've got to let just nature run its course. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even when I think about that, you know, if you're watching, I say, a zebra run, run down the, the paddock or whatever, and you see it break its leg, yeah, you just don't do anything. You just, that's just happened. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's unfortunate, but it's, yeah, yeah, you're there. Yeah, the best part of wildlife is leave it uh, completely alone. That's crazy, eh? But I did say you mentioned, though, unless a human effect. What exactly. did you mean by What did you mean by that? Could you expand on that? Uh, yeah, well, if we say it had um, been caught in a snare or... Um, right. Yeah, or it had... Uh, one of the had gone into a village and someone had put an arrow into it. Yeah. Then it's a then it's worth stepping in. Um, so a big with the elephants, uh, their uh, wilderness borders all these uh, tomato farms. Right, got these massive bull elephants standing <laughs> in, in pretty dry wilderness looking out to these perfectly fertilized irrigated tomato fields <laughs> yeah. and they literally line up along the boundary 
waiting for darkness to try sneak over and grab them. Oh, no way. <laughs> and so a big part of the rangers is stopping that interaction. They have relationships with all the farmers and they will pay for any cro- uh, damaged crops. Yeah. But every now and again, they'll go into the wrong farm and they'll get a spear in them or a um, arrow. And then it's about tracking them down. They tranquilize them, clean up the wound. And and yeah. so, yeah, a big part is sort of mitigating the wildlife-human interactions. But Yeah. Yeah, that's um, and that's so, and that like you said before, it's something like in New Zealand you don't really think about because we kind of coexist with wildlife, um, quite well. M- mainly because we haven't got big elephants rocking <laughs> down Glenfield Road, you know, <laughs> or oh, down. Yeah, we're lucky in that sense for sure, and um, but there are things like, uh, at least in Greenhive, everyone loves having cats, and they're pretty free roam to go where they want um people letting dogs um yeah. off leash so there's definitely ways to reduce it but uh, yeah yeah and yeah yeah but there's totally it's neat down here like there's we have a hut in shearwater that nests in kaikura yeah and at their breeding season they turn off all the lights in the town to try stop them and um, getting misled and coming into town and yeah. Trolls that go out and um, find them and relocate them to the ocean. So, yeah, uh, it's neat seeing when people yet yeah, um, coexist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even in my yard just out here, I've, we've got a core fire tree. And one of my favorite things to do sometimes when I'm at home is watch the kiriru, you know, the wood pigeon or, yeah, or the yeah. tui land. And like, look for whatever it's looking for in the in the in the flowers, you know. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think tuis. You you might disagree because you've um, taken photos and seen lots of New Zealand birds. I'm actually curious to know what your favorite is. But for me, man, tuis are so beautiful. Like they are one of the most beautiful birds when you see oh, them up close, especially. It's definitely. like wow. But you don't appreciate those the amount of color in them until they're up close. Yeah. And like the really fine sort of silky white strands on their back that's yeah. incredible and yeah favorite bird um new zealand um probably new zealand falcon or oh yeah nice uh, or the kia just because yeah such a uh, beautiful to photograph and really cheeky and yeah always neat to see in the mountains and they're the ones that screech at such a high pitch <laughs> yeah yeah uh, the ones that come up and destroy your car or your tent or yeah yeah those ones the yeah yeah, ones. yeah. <laughs> um i'm um i'm keen to ask you just about your your boating stuff in a minute but before i just wanted to even if it was in africa or not in africa i'm yeah. curious a story or a moment for you uh simon where whether you were capturing it with a camera or you were just there observing it with your own eyes, what's a moment that really stands out to you um, in terms of an animal you've seen or um, something that deeply impacted you when you when you saw it for the maybe for the first time? I don't know. Is there any kind of moments or stories that come to mind when you think along that line? Um, yeah, you see a uh, lot. Quite a few. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, probably the m- most memorable one. Um, was so i was captain of an expedition boat um and we ended up in antarctica um doing a charter and then a private trip with the owner 
and we uh, had parked up in a bay surrounded by a penguin colony and we oh, just yeah. arrived in Antarctica. So it's about a two-day crossing from South America to the Antarctic Peninsula and we had a pretty good storm go through. And so, well, mellow in terms of um, Antarctica, but uh, four to five metre seas, 30 knots. Uh, yeah. So didn't get a lot of sleep for a couple of days. And I've just made it into uh, Antarctica and we pulled into this bay and I think it was about four in the morning and the sun started coming up and just this perfect, um, really sort of sunburnt sky as uh, completely surrounded by a penguin colony. Um, and I took the little tender ashore and just sat down in the middle of the colony by myself and wow, uh, yeah, took photos and video and then uh, gave that away and just enjoyed the moment and just to be there completely alone with no one else um, was yeah pretty special. Isn't there something special about that, eh? When you're alone in nature as well and alone with animals, you know, it's cool experiencing things with you, with your mates or with other people, but yeah, there's nothing better than, yeah, it's just you experiencing this moment with something that is untamed, you know? Oh, definitely. And I've uh, learning to appreciate that a lot more. Like I've Most of my adventures, I've always loved having friends and around and, mm. but those yeah, some of the best moments I've had uh, for sure were just uh, by myself. Mm. And again, that's why I really enjoy uh, film and photography is that trying to capture that experience that I'm having um, in a way that does it justice and people get to enjoy that uh, when I return. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, have you seen, um, it's kind of a weird side topic, but have you seen yeah. the film The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Uh, yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good film. Um, but one of my favorite moments is that right at the end, I can't remember the guy's name, but he finds his the, uh, the snow leopard or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the snow yeah. leopard, and the guy has the camera there, and then he just puts it down, and he just wants to. I mean, hey, let's be honest, you're definitely capturing that thing. <laughs> but um, the way the way it was kind of dramatic, you know, for the movie. But yeah. the way I, I just love that idea where they just sat there, and Ben Stiller tries to talk, and he's like, shh. <laughs> I'm just watching this, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it's something I constantly try to remind myself because uh, um, I get pretty obsessed and focused with capturing either animal or a, a wilderness, and but just remind myself to actually enjoy it, and that yeah. you're there to have the experience, and the best way to do that is directly, not through a lens. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I know, for example, when I was at the Angkor Wat temples in Cambodia, of all places, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, beautiful sunrise and this temples there and there's monkeys like rocking up beside you, which you've got to be careful of with wild <laughs> monkeys. But, um, and I remember just watching it and the amount of people that were just looking through the lens, it's like a secondhand experience, you know? Yeah. No, exactly. And I mean, we're all guilty of it now. Sort of living life through your device and... Um, so now more than ever, yeah, learning to put it down is yeah pretty good, pretty valuable. Didn't you take like I, I saw somewhere that you took like a year off social media or something? Didn't you take a whole year of offline? Uh, and yeah, yeah. So 
Um, I definitely didn't stick per, uh, perfectly to that, but <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah. I for me, camera uh, film and photography has always been this sort of semi hobby, semi professional, mm. and it just got to that point where yeah, it became I had stopped enjoying it. Uh, so um, just the pressure of putting up so many posts and 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 was having different critiques of my work or um and how i should be doing it and yeah just decided to give it away and uh Mm. really uh reset for me that um come back now with a lot more passion and a lot more excitement for capturing and but it was well worth it um yeah and for that year didn't miss it at all so yeah, I love that. It's you, how you say it refreshed you and reset you because then, then you know, you'd we all get into that habit, right? Even podcasting, you know, sometimes I, I remember halfway through this journey for me, I'm two and a half years in now, but halfway through it became about the the posting and the pressure of getting the something up by next week and make sure it's edited and make sure the graphics team have gone and done their job versus just enjoying the convo. Yeah, and I took I took a break, I took about a three or four month break and then I even changed my system and I was like you know what if it's one a month it's one a month it's a, if it's two a week it's two a week and it's so much better because now it's like I'm just sitting here having a yarn with you and really enjoying it versus trying to think about okay what bit can we use for this where can we put that What can we, you know like actually having that time off something especially when it's social media it refreshes your passion for whatever you're doing not all the time but a lot of the time yeah oh definitely and that again as people are getting more mindful of that is like um having a reset having time for yourself um so yeah i definitely needed it and happy i did it yeah no 100 percent. and with your photography i saw you were in something with the new zealand um geographic photo awards i mean mate, i probably just absolutely butchered that but um what's that what's happening there so yeah new zealand geographic uh wildlife photography of the year awards and yeah, uh, stoked. I had two images selected. Um, awesome. Yeah, and only submitted two, so pretty Was happy. Was one of the hawk? Did I get that wrong? Uh, no, no. Um, the Pataki, brown teal, and then of uh, bronze whaler shark. Yes, uh, I did see that when you were diving or something. Yeah, yeah, out the back of Great Barrier, uh, Rakatu yeah. Um And yeah, yeah, so that's the first really time I've submitted to a competition. So mm. was really happy to get selected, and uh, two of my mates got selected as well. So ah, cool, man. Yeah, and just to have some sort of appreciation on at that level for the work is yeah, always a nice pat on the back, and it's been great the support I've been getting from friends and family, and yeah, um, the awards are next week. So. We'll see how we go. But. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's cool, man. No, nah, it's it's a, it's a cool way for for you to introduce as well, kind of you, not just like we've talked about this whole podcast, it's not just the image you put up, but the story behind the image and the yeah. idea and the message behind an image, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that's always what I've tried to do is like tell a story or, or try put an idea forward. Um, so, yeah, that other – uh, wildlife experience that having that um, bronze whaler come up was uh, pretty incredible. Um, so remote pinnacle 
cool, uh, perfectly blue water. And actually had my partner with me behind me um, who hadn't really dove with sharks before. Yeah. And, yeah, it was um, just incredible. He was, or he or she was super friendly, no signs of agitation, and uh, did three circles around us. And, yeah, was so happy to have the camera gear with me and able to capture it. Yeah, and I'm actually glad you said that because I, I, I've gone diving quite a bit, um, you know, grow, growing up where I grew up, you know. Um, yeah. But I remember, and this a lot of people listening to this might be able to relate to what I'm about to say. But I know when Steve Irwin died, right, by the, by the stingray, yeah. it freaked a lot of people out, even in terms of seeing a stingray, diving. Um, I think there was a story where the next week, um, I don't know if you heard this, but something like hundreds or thousands, I don't know the number, of stingrays were found dead on beaches because people were like going up and just killing them and just getting Crazy, taking revenge. It? I don't know. Yeah. But um, I mean, look, we weren't there with Steve. We don't know what happened. But I guess my question is for people that want to engage in wildlife, because you talked about this bronze whaler not being agitated, for people that want to engage in wildlife but are too scared to, you know, what what's the kind of do's and don'ts around um, wild animals, um, both land and water animals, to kind of get that experience of closeness without, you know, endangering themselves or the animal, if that makes sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think the best thing is is go with people that are experienced to start with. Um, do as much research as you can. Um, every animal is different and... Um, lucky of one growing up um, in that environment, but also studying it. That I would like to think I've got a good understanding of animal behaviour. Um, and then I've been around a lot of people that um, experience that uh, reinforce that or teach me um, new uh, tricks. But the big one is watching the animal and seeing the behavioural cues that they're giving. Um, so for me, for stingrays, for example, um, I grew up again cowell um, yeah. having we would hand feed stingrays um, off the beach scraps right. that we caught, and they're super curious. They're very docile. You can dive up to them, and they're very relaxed. They'll follow you around while you're snorkeling. So when I heard that, that was completely off sort of behavior from my experience if you're coming at it from um fresh approach yeah i'd say um especially now um social media is a great way to connect with um other sparrows and fishermen that you, there's always people keen to bring people along and yeah learn from um other people because um or online but it's yeah taking the cue so for sharks for example uh um they uh when they get excited or um agitated uh, especially bronze whalers they'll bring their fins in um so underneath their body for more maneuverability they um sort of arch their back up and their movements are a lot more sort of quick and sharp and so you can see one especially um, when you're spearfishing if you've got um a fish on the line or um, dead, then you can see that change of behavior. Um, wow. Whereas a relaxed bronzy will, yeah, be nice 
uh, fins out wide, nice slow movements. Uh, having those fish around that shadowing them is a good sign because uh, they drop away when they get agitated. Um, so, yeah, just learning those signs and signals for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting, man. Um, that's really interesting. Have you, I'm sure you have in, in ways, kind of as experienced as you are and as much as you know the animal behavior, you must have had some hairy moments, mate. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and um, again, I've been lucky. So in Africa, we had um, bull elephants charge us. And I, was out, yeah, yeah. And I was out of my comfort zone. But when you're with a guy that's grew up there and knows the land and he's calmly saying like this is normal he's just showing off doing a fake charge like he's about to turn and like he just was basically um perfectly reading this animal um but yeah for me as first time it was yeah uh, scary so um, well, what, hold on so that just you're so blasé over that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, bull, you know, bull, bull elephants just charged us. <laughs> what happened there? Uh, so we're heading um, in back in Kenya in yeah. a place called um, Savo National Park, and we were heading to a waterhole, and it's quite thick bush, and as we came around a corner, we just came into a mob of um, young bulls, and basically one reacted by just charging straight towards the car and stopped probably five meters away, sort of trumpeted, raised his ears up, looked as big as he could. And we just stopped the car and he just sort of uh, sat there for a while, sort of working out what we were. And then when he realized we weren't a threat, just slowly started backing up and then eventually... Um, left us alone so hectic man <laughs> yeah it's yeah. a story to tell the grandkids one day yeah yeah i am but just the uh that area was used to be heavily poached um right. the animals are very wary of people mm. and um for the guys living there that at least felt like they were used to it so they were um very calm in that situation and it was neat i can't imagine how i would have reacted if i was there by myself yeah uh, true true it's that whole association thing right you know so often uh, you know an elephant in that situation can associate humans with danger just like we do you know we we see you know you're walking along and you see a stray dog that looks angry you you think danger you know and dogs that have been abused by their owners see a, see a human and associate that with danger you know but i've always heard the saying you know animals well, not all animals obviously but depending on the animal but the whole idea of they're more afraid of you than you are of them you know is that does that kind of hold true or is that more of a like a wives tale you know uh no uh definitely like we so uh in canada and the yukon uh, a lot of the country we were canoeing in or hunting and fishing in was bear country and hmm. um, and in the wilderness bears are really cautious of people wow if you light a fire then they're nervous around smoke they don't like the smell of us so they keep well clear um, hmm. whereas closer to towns where you've got people leaving rubbish out or campsites 
then they start associating people with food and then they become a lot more aggressive and and yeah they become almost territorial over that food yeah so i've been a candidate seven times now and only had very positive experiences with bears and seen them that's just so cool that you've seen bears in real life man seen them less than five meters away and just couldn't care less about me just happily feeding on berries and and that they're definitely not this big aggressive predator that people think they are they are mostly vegetarian and and sort of keep to themselves and um and yeah and stay away mostly from people so yeah, oh, it's really cool. And I'm glad you said that, you know, because it's good for us to listen and actually, us, yeah, not believe the, uh, the classic stereotype of, of any animal, really. We've covered lots of them in this chat, you know, that, you know, you think, you know, you think a certain thing about them, but in reality, you know, it's not always, that's not true. So, no, nah, I really yeah, like that. It was one of the first times I went to Canada, there was on the front page of the newspaper, was talking about these tourists that had been attacked by a grizzly bear and the way they had written it was basically stupid tourists run away from bear and invoke attack <laughs> and I was yeah. like wait wait a minute like pretty sure like running away from a bear is a pretty natural thing to do yeah um unfortunately it's just the wrong thing to do um but they the what the tone of this um thing was they had basically encouraged a bear attack by run. Um, but I love that. I love yeah, that. Once you learn what to do and what not to do, then it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, I love that. Eh? Yeah. We're the fools. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think uh, one thing I'm really curious for you, man, is you've been there, you've done a lot, even actually, even your boating. I mean, the fact that you're a captain now, which is awesome and you're leading expeditions. And I know you talked about the Antarctic expedition, man, what a cool, what a cool adventure. Um, that was that, has that been the highlight in terms of your adventuring on as a captain on boat or just leading expeditions or you've been other places that were equally as amazing. Um, oh, definitely one of the highlights for sure. Um, the at boating was one of the first sort of jobs that ticked all the boxes um i was on the water surrounded by animals and wilderness uh, my dad's a marine engineer so grew up fixing things so um i was the engineer on board and uh, part of my job was taking photos and filming uh guiding wild wilderness trips yeah so yeah really um fitted well with the job and and just what we saw was incredible i um yeah been to places that have anyone else has been before and and especially to be in control to to plan it and successfully execute it um there's a lot of um sort of positive feedback uh, from that of successfully organizing a adventure rather than just participate yeah. Um, but the hard thing, the other side, is it was quite a lonely job. So we had um, a very small crew. I was the only full-time crew. Uh, so I definitely started missing friends and family and 
that excitement for outdoors and wilderness was sort of very sharply con- uh, um, contradicted to yeah. missing friends and family and um, or contrasted to it. And so that balance started growing too much to one side. Um, yeah. Was a big reason I came home and now land-based um, in Kaikoura because now that balance is back and can have those incredible experiences but then uh, come back to a flat to a um, partner yeah Yeah, i was going to ask you because that that's the one of the sacrifices of your every job every role has a sacrifice you know and that's one of them is time away from loved ones eh? because how long are you looking at and on one of your so example your antarctica expedition and your adventure down there what how many weeks are you looking at being away uh yeah so that total stint i did eight months in a row on board no way Uh, so from when we left new zealand up to the uk and so the um each antarctica trip was uh sort of three weeks um but in total i just uh was on the boat on board the boat yeah for way too long in one stint and uh definitely suffered from um, burnout and um and yeah so we left new zealand went up through tahiti then down to uh south america down to antarctica then up to falklands brazil uh through the atlantic um up to the uk Mm. Mm. what a incredible but just um in future i'll break it up a bit and have a bit (laughs) more holidays yeah, yeah. But I mean, hey, the other thing too is you're dealing with open seas. I mean, I remember um, interviewing, um, oh gosh, come on now, Barbara Kendall, you know, the yeah. New Zealand um, absolute champion, legend, Olympian. Um, and, and in terms of everything she's done and she's, you know, windsurfing and boating, she's a huge boatie, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think she's from the coast as well, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah, or, or maybe got oh, she or maybe she lives up there now. I can't quite remember. But anyway, um, being in the open seas was one of her scariest adventures of her life. One of the biggest, you know, big big way. I think they they I think they were on a huge double hulled catamaran. I can't I can't remember quite. Yeah. But it, um, yeah, they they capsized in the middle oh, of wow. open open water. It was something like that. Gosh, she did tell the story in the podcast. It was a long time ago now. <laughs> you know, but you know, you're in open seas. That's another beast on its own, right? Yeah, yeah, and you definitely appreciate the power of the ocean. Um, <laughs> yeah. We are the. I was quite lucky, um, touch wood, and never had anything too crazy. Um, we the worst seas I had were eight meters, um, but no wind on them. Okay. So just big rollers that you're going across, and then the worst wind I had was a hundred and five knots um in the falklands which yeah was scary as hell but that is gnarly <laughs> yeah we had 120 meters of chain out and five meters of water far and out man we we're just sailing around the anchorage uh, yeah but luckily well-built boat uh big anchor so what were you what were you, what were you on uh so on gray wolf the expedition boat okay and um, so it was built for um rough conditions and uh, we just had one-hour watches and just sort of rode through it. Mm. Um, mm. But no, I all in all love the open ocean, 
love that feeling of an endless horizon. Uh, when yeah. you get the calm days, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, mirror pond, I uh, like mirror, all the sky reflected, the stars, it's unreal. Yeah, it's unbeatable, eh? Yeah. 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 But yeah, uh, luckily with modern day forecasting, you can sort of work your way around the storms. But yeah, some of the stories we watched recently, um, a doco from 1985, they crossed from Bali to um, Madagascar yeah. on a traditional built, um, basically canoe outrigger. Yeah. And yeah, it looked horrendous. It oh. was, yeah, it took them 60 days. Uh, yeah, and completely Unreal. traditional, no like navigating by the stars. Yeah. Um, yeah, having an open fire to cook their food, it was unreal but it's yeah didn't look fun man doesn't that just give you an appreciation for the you know early explorers you know that like travel you know in the pacific islands i'm more talking you know and traveling yeah. you know from wherever to, to new zealand or across the pacific just on those outrigger there's actually a couple of them in the um in the museum you see them in the in some of the sections there it's like man they traveled off open sea on that thing <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah, it's oh, crazy. It's crazy. Um, when we're, we're sitting on the, like, our boat was uh, built in uh, 2017 or so. So all the modern equipment. Yeah. Um, get satellite weather updates. That's, um, yeah. Steering all autopilot, um, big fridges and freezers. Um, yeah, you're in luxury. Mate. To engine. <laughs> Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, and um, I always prefer the sailing versus motoring part of um, ocean crossing. Of course. Uh, just because you have so much. Um, one, it's more interesting. There's always something to do. Mm. And you're just so more aware of the elements and the wind and the weather um, and constantly adjusting to get the best out of it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I think the last time I was out sailing, I got a, is it a boon? Is that what it's called? Boon to the head. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> last time I was out there as well. <laughs> um, no, but I do love it. Um, mate, for, for because we kind of normally land an episode on these kind this kind of question. Um, okay. as, as I said, it's not, um, none of this is scripted, but the, the one question I, I normally ask is along the lines of for people listening in that want to get into what you do, right? Someone, you know, we've got a young buck or not even a young buck, mate, could be someone in their 60s, who knows? Listening yeah. in and they're like, you know what? I just want, I want to go out and give it a crack. I want to travel the world. I want to capture nature and, and wildlife. I want to capture as in take photos, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I had to clarify. Um, I want to, you know, I want to get out there and, you know, travel and see these things what would you say is the starting point and, and kind of something to take into consideration, man, when for someone listening in, that's like, mate, I'm inspired. I want to go and do it. You know? Oh, the big thing for me is just take the step. Like so many people like get comfortable, get focused on why they can't do it, that they struggle to, to like get into that lifestyle of going traveling or, starting a new job or there's it's so easy to build up why you shouldn't do it rather than you should mm. and for me that's 
probably the biggest reason why I've done all these things was just had that confidence to take that step. Um, and the, yeah, I think it's hard because whatever, for me, when I was in that lifestyle of adventuring and moving around, I found it hard to then step back into reality and, and have a sort of full-time job and get a house and, and yeah. that side of things that, um, but it's, yeah, to really just, uh, take that leap of faith and, um, back yourself, have the confidence and you're always going to be better off for trying and failing than try than not trying at all. hundred percent. As long as you're willing to work hard then and happy, uh, picking up new skills, like of cleaned houses of painted of done building i've done anything i can to pay for my adventures yeah and so if you're willing to work hard you'll always be able to find something to keep going and um, and especially the working overseas like having take advantage of the working holiday visas um if you're yeah. going to work nine to five, you might as well do it in another country. And then all your weekends are adventures. They're always something new. And yeah. that can be a building block to then go on to other um, experiences. So. Uh, it's really cool, man. I think uh, I think for me personally, I'm booking a trip to the Yukon, mate. Seriously. Yeah. Um, um, I'll send you some um, photos and video and you'll be up there for sure. Oh, do do it. Yeah. Um, and lastly, for you, mate, what's next for you? What's the what's the something? What's something that's always uh, evaded you that you wanted to to see or capture? Or what's the next big adventure? Like, what's that? What's that horizon looking like for you, mate? Uh, well, right now, feeling uh, really good just to be settled, to to be enjoying Kaikoura, is yeah, great hunting, fishing and um, diving, surfing. This um, ticks all the boxes. So just enjoy that part of life. Um, but my old boss just texted me recently saying uh, there may be a Northwest Passage on the cards. Oh. So heading up around the top of Canada and Alaska. Cool. Uh, so that, yeah, will be pretty tempting. To, um, so I might have to let work go. <laughs> yeah. Take a few months off. And... Yeah, you can't, you can't keep them away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, for now, just loving New Zealand, loving being home, uh, and enjoying everything we've got back here. Yeah, and I love that, man. You know, we all want it. We're all in such a rush to get overseas and see it all, but we've got it in our backyard. Eh? So, well, Simon, mate, I've actually, I've really, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I was, I was saying to, um, I was talking, I'm saying to my flatmate who I was getting on, I showed the gram, and I just love hearing the stories. You know, I love the stories and uh, maybe it's my growing up in a small town where we used to go and adventure all the time. I always love getting someone on that's had that experience. And um, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it, man. I've really appreciated your time and uh, yeah, I hope you've had fun. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely, man. Thanks a lot. It's been really fun to reminisce and um, hopefully inspire people to get out and enjoy the outdoors and in this country or any other one. So yeah, for sure, appreciate it. Oh, 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 oh,